Welcome to Dads, Daughters, and Dollars, a financial podcast for everyone. Now, here's one of my favorite people. (laughs) I'm Sean, the dad, clearly the favorite. And I'm Caitlin, the daughter, clearly my dad's mistaken. Hello, everybody. Hi. Um, I wanted to start off by saying I'm so grateful and uh, just for a lot of things. uh, It's kind of late night right now when we're recording this. But guess who got his shot today? His first vaccine shot. I did. I did. And I am so thrilled. I mean, like even... I made um, I helped making my mom uh, I helped make my mom a vaccine appointment, uh, and after we we got the first appointment for her, I just started crying in her arms, and I'm so happy you got one too. I'm like thrilled. Um, so celebrating that today, but also uh, welcome I, back to Dad's Daughters Dollars. What are you exactly? Gonna say? I, what I was going to say is <laughs> what I'm grateful for mm-hmm. is the fact that just before we recorded this. My daughter mentioned, all right, we have to jam out to this new song. And it's by <laughs> Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah, and do you want to? And it's called Deja Vu. Do you want to talk I, about And I'll that? talk a little backstory is that I did a show for three years with Olivia on the Disney Channel called Bizarre Vark. And I'm so incredibly happy for her, for driver's license and how unbelievable that song has done. And she's the, one of the sweetest people ever. Super, super talented. Couldn't be more happier for her success. But I just heard the song yesterday. I'm like, oh, I wonder if my daughter's heard it because, oh, it had like 17 minute da- seventeen million downloads in two I days. I had heard it because I just like seeing people that I know my parents have enjoyed working with like also be successful. So she's like, it's oh, been a before- a handful we- of those throughout- before we do the podcast, let's jam out to that song. I just wanted us to be in a, in a good mood and, you know, it's late at night. I, Dad, I don't know if you're feeling any potential side effects, but you're kind of invincible in that way. The no, New, the New Yorker and you are kind of just like, yeah, maybe my arm where they put it in is sore. Yeah, but. well, I did have a, instead of running a marathon after I did a half marathon, so right. there was yeah. a side effect. And after my shot, I I only did like you know a five k instead of a ten k. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, you know, cue the laughs. We don't have, I haven't put in a laugh button yet, but there's that. Um, Bad jokes to start off your your podcast, but hi everyone, um, welcome back, and we're so happy you tuned in. Um, so we are opening up the journal again today, and yeah, because it's sort of a roulette of journal. Because I where I have two financial journals. If you haven't listened uh, to a previous podcast, I have two financial journals, and I've written down stuff that I want my daughter to learn, and stuff that I've actually learned. Like wow, this this book, this podcast, whatever, this article has taught me something, and I wanted my daughter pass it on to my daughter. So we just open up a random page, and she goes, "All right, now tell me about that." And right. that's what we're doing. So today. I will say that a lot of the same information that I think my dad gravitates towards is stuff that kind of builds on things he already believes in like you know not touching it too much not being emotional in this in the stock market or with excuse me index funds and so but I kind of tried to pick something that I thought maybe we hadn't really talked about before but still built on what I think you refer to multiple times as your financial principle um so the first thing that I wanted to point out to it's on this one page is why indexing works so i'm going to read this part and then you can explain well let me it. just stop for one second and just nope. tell everybody every if anybody knows what indexing if you're if you're not familiar with indexing is when you buy like an index fund and an index fund if it's the s&p 500 it invests in the top 500 companies in the s&p the right. standard and poor's 500 
And if it's a total stock market index, it buys every single company in the stock market, which is approximately 3,600 to 3,800 companies. So you're casting this really wide net. So that's what indexing is when she says why indexing works. So yes, it's it's not picking the needle in the haystack. It's buying the whole haystack and just you know going to sleep right. at night and not having to worry that, oh my God, do I have the needle? Because I only bought part of the haystack. No, you bought the whole thing, so you're fine. Right. Um, so here's what it says. In an index, nearly two-thirds of stocks underperform the index itself, um, while one-third of the stocks outperform the index. The stocks that outperform the index change all the time. By casting a wide net and betting on the whole index, 500 or more stocks, you are more likely to catch the next high, what does that say, flow? The next high... High flyer. The next high flyer. The one-third of stocks that outperform the market more than make up for the two-thirds that underperform over the long term. So I feel like we've heard that before, but I didn't think that it had been broken down into one-third or two-third. I kind of always imagined it as, you know, maybe not 50-50, but I would have thought maybe it was less than one-third that, like, really did well, and then the others just were kind of floating along. They weren't doing terribly negative or terribly, um, I guess, positive. All right, so let me explain this. So you say one of the things I, I keep coming back to in the journals is like less about uh, compound interest or about saving or about not being emotional. And one of the things I did is I didn't have a financial philosophy with the exception of I've always been a good saver my whole life. But I had no investing philosophy. I had no nothing about indexing or mutual funds or stock. I knew nothing. And I just basically by reading, I said, okay, I'll try this. And I just threw enough things out there and figured it out after a while that, let's say over a seven to 10 year period, oh, I have a financial philosophy now. And it was by trying things and seeing whether or not they succeeded. Well, okay. Now that you mentioned that, I don't know if we've talked about this before. And if you don't want to discuss it, that's fine. What are the things that didn't work for you? Do you know any offhand now? Or is that kind of putting you too much on the spot? No, there wasn't anything that really didn't work for me because I invested in mutual funds. And the thing I didn't do well at the beginning was I didn't know enough about fees because the fees fees tend to be hidden. The fees got you. Okay. And I I I was still making plenty of money in the mutual fund, but instead of paying let's say you had $10,000 invested, you, oh, you could be paying $50 in fees the whole year and the rest of the $9,950 was getting invested. No, some mutual funds without you just, oh, it's just a 3%, whatever. You turn around and you found that, oh, I paid $1,100 right. of this 10000 in fees? Are you kidding me? Right, this is yeah. insane. That's a good chunk. So your money's not going to work is the way. So that's the one thing I did do wrong. But I was always a good saver. I'll just ask this one question because it's kind of just a yes or a no. Did you invest in singular stocks and singular companies before you did index funds? You were always at from with index funds from the start. And And the reason is because I work in a freelance industry television and doing that, um, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket kind of thing. Exactly. Because I don't know when my next job is. Right. I just didn't know if like when you started researching this, it was all stocks I probably, that people were talking about. I did look at some stocks, but I said, okay, if I put my eggs in that basket, then I haven't cast a wide enough net and I already work in a business that is not stable. Okay. So I, yeah, I just didn't know if like the information you were getting at that time was like all stocks and index funds weren't really being talked about, but you made the good decision to do index from the start. So that's great. Well, this is, if you were to look at it this way, mutual funds gave me more stability than my freelance career did. Right. 
So, Which, but, that's crazy, because you're talking about the stock market here. Right. right? So, yeah. but let me go over the thing about why indexing works and the thing about two-thirds and one-third. So, if you are doing a total stock market index and you're investing in 36 to 3,800 stocks, in any one day, as many as 66% of those stocks are not doing well. So, if you say, like, okay, Google went up by 18 cents a share and... uh Facebook went up so many, you know, uh, you know, 42 cents a share and whatever, and you, act, you own X amount of shares. Well, maybe 66% of the, of the companies in that index that day did poorly. But the 33% that did well outweighed. So when you had the 3,800 stocks, you still made uh, basically on those total stock market index fund, you still made about 7% increase that day. And you're like, what? I made 7% on a day when 66% of the companies did poorly? And it's true. And by buying a whole total stock market index, there's so many different uh, sectors. So there's an energy sector. So maybe gas companies are doing poorly because maybe uh, solar is doing better. Just that one day. And then let's say the financial industry is dropping because people are, don't like banks anymore. So that does poorly. So all that, the financial sector is not doing well. But let's say the tech sector about computers is going crazy. And that makes up for the two other sectors that are doing poorly. So, but over time, you're going to go, wow, I can't believe that 66% losers still made me a winner. Yeah. It's funny when you look at the math like that. And that's when I wrote that in that book, like, wait, this can't be right. This math can't be right. Which I just also want to say, I guess, I don't know if you have anything else left to say on that topic. No. I don't want to move on before you've um, said your piece, but he does have two uh, Sean stars next to the why um, indexing works, which you know means, you know, it's pretty important. Um, it's either starred or it's put in a box. And I kind of, I saw this on the following page because it's kind of two pages we're going between tonight. And I just wanted to say this because I'm kind of, I never really thought about it like this. One of the things you wrote in here is it, um, it's in you know two boxes, not just one. The stock market is the only thing people prefer not to buy when it is on sale. And it makes me wonder, that's like kind of a weird thing because I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I want to buy something that was originally worth $40 and if I really need it, but they're selling it for 20, I go, I feel better about this now, but that's interesting. You put it that way and you're smiling at me now. Too. I'm smiling because I didn't write that. I read that. I either heard that in a podcast or I read that in a book or a magazine. And I go, Oh, do you remember? Well, we, we did an episode about how quotes have med, you know, stuff yeah. has affected me. Yeah. That's almost like a quote. So basically you go, okay. Um, let's say you're only investing in one company and that company's Google. Right. And I, I have no clue, but let's say Google's worth $290 a share. And that day, because of whatever reason, the stock market drops and Google drops uh, $38 a share. And people are like, oh, my God, what's happening to Google? It has dropped uh, 10% in one day. This is really, really bad. What's it, does Google need a new CEO? Right. That's the perfect time to buy Google if you think Google's good for the old. Because you know it's going to go back People up. are like, oh, stay away from Google. Now let's do the same thing. You're, you're going to a, a clothing store. And they go, okay, here's this really cute pair of jeans, and it's normally $49. Well, today we're selling it for $29. You go, you know what? I don't think I want it. So, But if it's a stock market, they're thinking, oh, I don't think I want it. It's going down. 
Here's what I'm going to say. Knowing what I know now, this is just speaking for me. I can't speak for the general consensus of the population and what they know financially. From what you've taught me, I feel like I could confidently say, yeah, if something goes down, I know on average the market will come back. It will gain what it has lost and then some. Correct. All of the history that you've taught me, all of what history has taught, I guess, all of us, or I guess depends on what I mean by all of us, is that that always happens. You can't always rely on that. So knowing that, I feel like that quote, I wonder if that still has the same power, but I guess people are still super emotional. A large majority of investors or just people in the market or, you know, maybe someone who is a, a God, a hedge fund investor. Right. Someone who has a lot of dough is looking for maybe more immediate returns. They're not super concerned about, you know, the long term because they're just looking in the short term. Right. Maybe I, I can't speak for them. I'm not them. I don't have a hundred million dollars under my belt. Um, maybe one day, huh? But so I'm just finding it fascinating that that is something that definitely applies, even though me being what well, I'm 24 now, I know that that's something I'm definitely going to see in the future. I don't know the last time, I mean, maybe you do in the past two weeks, if the stock market had a bad day, if you could say in the last two weeks, like, oh, that, you know, two Wednesdays yeah, ago, but it not, was pretty not, bad. Not that bad. It, it had a or, really spectacular day about four days ago. Whatever. Right. But so I'm just saying that like in the past two weeks, if you select out the worst day, or in the next two weeks, if you pick out the worst day, that might be the day I, you know, can find it in my savings to put in more. I've personally been thinking about putting in more because the long-term goals I have for myself are a bit far away and I feel like I could afford to put right, some more money exactly. there. But so I, that was just interesting. I wanted to point that out. That now wasn't initially what I was planning to point out tonight, but I just thought that was kind of it fascinating because that still really does apply. But just, just apply it to buying clothes. If you if if you love uh, you love whether it's a pair of sneakers or shoes or, or jeans or whatever it's a blouse and you say to yourself, oh I I love that but I want to pay eighty nine dollars for that and then you go well it's on sale for sixty okay now I like it but in the stock market you go well this is going down why would I buy it it's it doesn't look so good but if you believe in the company long term then you'll be fine right now but let me just put one little asterisk on that. If you're saying, oh, look, this penny stock, don't invest in penny stocks. Don't invest in, I mean, in general, I tell you don't invest in individual stocks, but I'm positive you could do well investing in individual stocks. But I just like when you cast your net more diverse. Mm-hmm. But, you know, penny, somebody who's investing in Bitcoin right now, I don't believe in. You know that. Uh, somebody who's investing in penny stocks or something that's highly risk, you know, risky it doesn't make sense. It's very spec- speculative. And so when that drops, you go, oh, I'm going to buy a ton more of that. No. If it's a company that's like has a 20-year history or, you know, uh, tomorrow Apple computer is not going bankrupt anytime soon. Well, let's hope so. Otherwise, I think the world is probably in more turmoil than we've been in the past year. The I, I didn't know if you wanted to say anything else before I moved on. No, let's move on. Great. Um, so this one talks about financial power percentage. So this is a measure of financial health. Specifically, it is how much your current monthly income is going toward getting you out of debt or saving for the future. So it it prompts you to add the following monthly activities. You add them all up and then get a total. So tell them what the numbers, the things are. 
uh, a retirement plan deposits, employer match, college fund deposits. So I guess that's maybe if you're a parent or maybe you're older and you're saving for college in the future to go back. Right. Um, saving deposits, other investment deposits, mortgage principal payments. So not interest, property, taxes, or insurance. I'm not sure what that is. Right. So it's just, it's just the one principal payment. Go ahead. Oh, so like, oh, okay. My mortgage is $1,600 a month. Right. Okay, that. All right. Um, credit card payments, student loan payments, any other payments. So, right. yeah, we all so, have those. Yeah, and then you can finish reading it. Um, it says, once you have this number, so it's like, You that- add together all those things. Now, like, for instance, I'm going to tell you, for instance, you do not have uh, an employer that matches anything, so you wouldn't be adding that. Right. You but do, you add what of those that you have. We, you do put some money in a retirement plan each year. Each year, so you could basically divide that by twelve. Um, there's uh, you don't have college fund deposits because you're not saving for a child going because you're not married yet. Um, saving deposits, you just have your checks are basically deposited into your checking, and the, sometimes they go into your brokerage account savings portion, right? Um, you don't really have a house, going. so you wouldn't be adding together a mortgage payment. Yeah. Uh, you do have some credit card payments, so you'd put that. And then you don't have a student loan payment, and then any other payments like you would have, this, say, on various credit cards or whatever. But you add those all together, and then you put you divide it by the gross income you bring in each month. And then when you divide, so let's say between a retirement plan, let's say you were putting $400 a month away for retirement. And then... Um, you have a credit card payments of 400 a month and, you know, a rent. Yeah, everything together divided by... Let's say everything was $2,000 for the month, but you're bringing in $5,000 a month. So you would divide the, the 5000 by 2000 and whatever percentage you get, you can then uh, look you at mean, this You mean you divide the 2000 by the 5000 Correct. Right. So like, for instance, in this example, somebody had a $1,500 worth of totally payments they had to put out each month. Yeah. And their gross income was 5000 So when you divide the 5000 into the 1500 you get 0.30. And then your power so percentage- So 30%. Right. So your power percentage is, if it wound up being less than 10%, you're in big trouble financially. So, but too, like too what much, numbers would that be? That would be like if you- uh, you were bringing in a thousand dollars, and you. Let me see. It would be. I think it's inverse. Because let's say, let's say you're paying a thousand dollars. Oh no, maybe it's not inverse. Sorry, we're figuring this out on the air. If you brought in a thousand dollars a month, and a thousand dollars of it was going towards your thing, right? That'd right. be the number one. So that'd mean a hundred percent. So if you look at what's on that page, that means you're doing really, really well. If you're putting a hundred percent of everything you get per month, like away, or you're paying for it. That means you're kind of also living paycheck to paycheck. So I guess I don't fully understand that. Does that mean it's inverse? Yeah. It's basically if the less you're putting out each month based on how much you're bringing in gross. Okay. So uh, I'll just use this example. You're bringing in 5,000 a month. Mm-hmm. And you're putting out one thousand. You're putting out twenty percent of what you bring in. Mm-hmm. If you're putting out twenty percent of what you're bringing in, you're doing okay. And this yeah, power according thing. to it. Yeah. If you're and so any place between eleven and twenty percent, you're doing okay financially. 
if you're between 21% and 34%, you have a healthy financial lifestyle. So that would mean you are bringing in $5,000 a month. And instead of putting out $1,000, you're putting out uh, $600. Does that make sense? That, that kind of be- makes sense. I think I think what you're trying to say or what at least I'm trying to understand it as is because these all the money that's like technically going out, but it's going out in the form of like a lot of savings. So the closer you are or I guess past 30% because according to this thing here it says um uh if you're between what I say 21% and 34%, you have a healthy financial lifestyle. So that means if a per- if that percentage is going towards a lot of savings because that's what the monthly activities include. Like a lot of these monthly activities, you'd think if if the monthly activities were just the credit card payment and just like debt, that would, or like student loans and other payments like gas and groceries, that would be concerning because then that means you're living paycheck to paycheck. But this is also including retirement, like employer match, you know, savings accounts, college funds, what are the other ones that are like saving versus just things we all need to pay per month? Just savings deposits, investment deposits. Right. Okay. So all of that stuff is savings. So I think when you include that, the more money that's going out in total is actually saving you. It's not like you never see that money again. Like if I am living in a house and I pay $1,600 in rent in a house, if I ever get there, <laughs> that, that I'm not really ever seeing that money again if that's not going towards rent. I mean, I guess that's going... Or if it's going towards like me in an apartment, let's say I'm living in a crazy expensive apartment or whatever the price is, I'm not really ever seeing that money again because it's not like I'm working no. towards, you know, buying that apartment Correct. in some capacity. So, but when you include that, like you're investing in it, that's money you still have because you can always take that out. So I guess, yes, the higher the number or the percentage right. of this power percentage index or whatever you want to call it, the better off you are. I was just, I was Correct. struggling like, to get my so head around that. The example, the... If your 35, your power percentage is 35% or higher, that means you're mastering your financial life. So the example would be- Aha, a student becomes a teacher. Yes. So the example would be you're bringing in $10,000 a month, right? Just play with me. Mm-hmm. $10,000 a month. And you're putting out 3500 You're mastering your financial life because more is going towards, you know, protecting your future and- making sure you have emergency savings, more is going towards that than is going towards living just check to check. Right. So. It makes me wonder if you were bringing in $10,000 a month, which I feel like there's some people my age who are like, you know, software engineers or programmers or computer techs or something could be bringing in that much money. I don't think it's unheard of before. There's a lot oh, of smart absolutely. people my age. Without without a doubt. Like, Engineers can Even if that. you put away 40%. Of everything. And that that covers everything. Right. Literally everything. What do you do with the rest of that 60%? I mean, I wish I could say I was good at spending money. Most people do. It's called lifestyle creep. If you are making $10,000 a month, you're making $120,000 a year. Yeah, it's a six figures. And you are 25 years old because you got a job as a programmer or something for Google or whoever, right? You're like, this is great. And probably in four years, I'm going to be making one eighty. It's going to be the greatest thing ever, right? Well, you go, wait a second. My friends who got out of college are not doing as well. So to show that I'm doing well, I am going to buy the $50,000 Tesla. I don't know that a lot of people do that, but maybe But, but you know what I mean? There's yeah. a lot of what's called lifestyle creep that as your salary goes up, you keep creeping up 
the the you know the things you spend money on. So like if someone made one hundred twenty thousand dollars, they don't want to live at home. But if they could go live in somebody's guest house and pay very little, and for seven years put away a buttload of money. You set yourself up for life. Well, seven years is a long time. But what I will say is what this is reminding me of. Um, what's this segment called with my lovely best friend? Oh, um, uh, Be Like Noah? Be Like Noah, yes. Um, in the instance of Be Like Noah, if we're evaluating at least what he told us um, on a previous episode, I think it was our last episode actually, um, about his like where he lands on this power percentage, like how much he's able to he put away. 40%, right? He's at like 30, 40%. Yeah, I mean, I guess sometimes he, it fluctuates if like, oh, you need more gas this month or whatever right. happens. But um, he is mastering his financial life. He is mastering his financial life. Be like Noah. Exactly. Big time. I mean, I don't know that anyone is necessarily going to come away with this memorizing the numbers that if you're only putting away in total, if you add up all of those things and it's 10% and you're in big trouble because you, you know, for whatever reason, you can't put away more. Um, then I, I guess mean, that's a lesson that you should be putting away more. Basically, but. The, the example is how much is going out based on what you're bringing in gross a month. And if it's, you know, tell them the numbers. If it's less than 10% uh, is... Um, Big trouble. Between 11 and 20% is doing okay. Between 21 and 34%, you are healthy. You're living a healthy financial lifestyle between... 35% and up, you are mastering your financial life. So Noah, if we're all going to try and be like Noah, is mastering his financial life. At because the he is... Young age of 24. Based on his gross, he's putting away at least 35 to 40% every month, depending on the month. And that's... that's He's totally setting himself up for total success. I, I, I'm going to guarantee this. I want to interview him when he's age 40. I guarantee you he's doing spectacular. That's crazy, though. You're talking about us being 40, and he's turning 25 this year, and I'm turning 25 a month after him. And it's, or I guess, technically, officially six weeks after him, because that's how far we are, like, exactly. But um, it is weird to me that I'm going to be a quarter of a century. It's all good. Like, I'm going to cringe five years from now listening to myself complain about being, oh, my God, I'm going to be 25. Like, I know it's like a dream, dream age. Listen. Because I can rent a car. Holla at me. Listen, I, you know. (laughs) In, in, uh, in like, uh, you know, 50 years from now, I'm going to be like, hey, I'm, I'm turning uh, 114. Isn't that great? You know, and then we'll be talking 14's about- 14's my favorite number. You just add another one on the front. That'd be cool. All right. I want to go over- Going to find you a lot of birthday candles. One last thing that I literally added to the new journal I have oh, yesterday. Oh, yes. This is what he's super excited about. It's going to blow my mind. Be prepared, right. people. All right. So the very first episode of Dad's Daughters and Dollars, we talked about the power of- compound interest. And it kind of blew her away. And the example I gave was if you had one penny and it doubled every day in one month, a 31-day month, how much money would you have? And she was guessing, oh, uh, 48000 or whatever she was guessing. And it's $10.7 million because the money is compounding every day. So I saw a video yesterday on YouTube and the example they gave just baffled me and I was Pleasantly surprised I had to write it in this journal and I want to bring it up to you. So the reason the reason people don't understand compound interest because if you said to someone, what's six plus six plus six, what do you say? Eighteen. Right. Because it's addition. Mm -hmm. But now if I say six 
times six times six, it might be harder to figure in your brain. So six times six is 36 times six. It winds up being 216, but that's not hard. That's maybe hard for someone to add. Well, 30 times six is 180 and six times six is 36. So 36 plus 180 is 216. It would have taken me another minute, but yeah, But but the idea that sometimes that's going to like, fry somebody's brain and it's it's hard to understand because what compound interest is is about multiplication not addition so a lot of times it's hard for people to understand and like oh, well i'll say this we love her at the beginning top of the show but my mother in the other room's head has already exploded and i don't even know that she's listening but just you know in spirit her head has been here and it has exploded on the premises so um, <laughs> compound interest is more about multiplying than adding Mm-hmm. So most people don't understand how quickly it multiplies. So the example I'm going to give, and I know this is, we're kind of cheating by doing this because you can pick any group of years you want and then prove how compound interest works. So after World War II ended, mm-hmm. so there was a lot of financial, there was a uh, depression in like two, 1918 or whatever it was. And so uh, the stock market dropped, maybe it was 1929 or something. And so it took like 20. Yeah, well, there, wasn't there one in 1918 and there was one in 1929? Right. So it took like 20 years for the stock market to recover. So, but right after, and then we went into World War II. And right after yeah. World War II was 1945. From 1945, the S&P 500 yeah. to 2021. So the return of the S&P 500. Okay. So, you know, I, you and I have talked about since the beginning of time, since the stock market started, which is like in the late 1800s, the total return up to now 2021 is approximately, depends on who you listen to, about 9.3%. So nine on point, average. So 9.3% means every, if you invested and stay in, in the long term, every eight years, your money will double. And that's saying you don't put any more money into the stock market, uh, S&P 500. Okay. Okay. So, but from 1945, right after World War II, up to this current date, 2021, Mm -hmm. how much is the S&P 500 averaged per year? So, if you're saying that from the 1800s on, it's been 9.6%, you're arguing- 9.3. 9.3. You're asking me from 1945 until now. Yeah. Um, I feel like you're going to blow my mind. I'm going to say 12.5%. No, 11.2. Okay. Right, so that's good. So that's not the impressive part of this conversation. I mean, that's still pretty good, though. That's higher than so what that means, what's expected. What that means is that approximately every six and a half years, your money doubles mm-hmm. since 1945. Right. Now, if you take that 11.2% between 1945 and now, and it's approximately 74 years. All right. So maybe somebody who's 74 wasn't investing when they were one, but, you know. Yeah. But if you invested... And you do 11.2% and then you're, you know, just say you, you bought something for $10 and it's invested in the S&P 500 and you do 11.2, how many percent is 11.2 after 74 years when it compounds? How much percentage did the stock market go up on your $10? I'm not going to tell you what the final number is, but I'm going to tell you the so you're not going to tell me like 10 turns into this blank number no, of money. No, because I just used 10 as a wild example. Okay. How much percentage so, when you do 11.2 and then 11.2 compounds? So it's 11.2 11. factorial Compound. of 74. Yeah. Um, it's high school math coming into play. Um, I have no idea, but that sounds like 
a trillion, which I know no, is no, an exaggeration. It's not, it's not a trillion, but what percentage would you say if 11.2% after 10 years is 110%? I'm going to say... But it's multiplying by itself, you know what right, I mean? Right, so I feel like that's a lot. For 74 years... It's 270,000%. It went up. Oh, my God. Right? Feels like you'd get a trillion dollars out of that, though. Correct. I mean, I want to put that in a calculator. We don't have one in front of us, so, but... Over the last 74 years, the index, meaning the S&P 500, has gone up 270,000%. So that's two seven zeros, zero, zero, zero. Correct. Yeah, four zeros. Isn't that amazing? That's pretty incredible. I just, I, like, I want to get a calculator after this and just kind of figure it out. Or and maybe we can put it in the episode description for you guys, because that's nuts. So you're saying like $10 in 1945, if it's fully in the stock market... You know, an index fund, if index funds were a thing in 1945. Yeah, we, we'd have to pull out a compound interest calculator, put in 11.2, and then put in 74 years, and then it would show us what exactly $10 turned into. That's crazy. Right? All right, so here's the one last example. So did you think that was a little bit mind-blowing? Yeah, because I feel like getting 200% returns on anything is nuts. So 270 thousand is even crazier. So that's not the mind-blowing thing I was going to tell you Excuse about. me, what, sir? Yes. This is the mind-blowing thing. All right. So based on what you know about that, the average person can easily be wealthy with compound interest if you just have a horizon of 40 years between 25 and 65. You can easily double your money at least er- multiple times, at least four times, maybe five times. Here's another example of compound interest that I saw in this video. It just blew me away. And this is a true story. A thousand years ago, there was a mathematician who invented chess. And whatever ruler he invented it for, they were having great fun at at his kingdom or whatever. And the, the ruler asked the mathematician, what do you want for a reward? And the, and the mathematician said, he's a humble man. He just asked if I could have a single, if you took the chessboard and you put a single grain of rice on the corner square, and then on the next square, you put two grains of rice. Mm-hmm. And then each square, it would double. So then the third square would be four, and the fourth square would be eight, and then you would get, and he said, just give me the grains of rice on the 64th square, and that's all I would like. Okay. So each time it doubles for 64 squares, how much rice is on the last square? Okay, well, he's, he's laughing because he's I'm watching laughing me trying to... I'm laughing because it will be impossible for you to guess this. Well, thanks for setting me up to fail, man. <laughs> um, no, uh, I'm kidding. Because uh, if 31 was 10.7 million, if that's the same you know, principle... Then you're doing it for another 30 days on top of it. So I'm going to say like 270 trillion, 445, yeah, he's just shaking his head, billion, uh, 163 million, 475,000. All right, stop counting. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was trying to be entertaining. It didn't really work out. I'm sorry. Everyone. I'm telling you guys, go and look up. Uh, the power of compounding, and we can link to this video. It was on CNBC. Um, the rice on the 64th square is more rice than has ever been cultivated 
in the history of humanity. How do they know that, though? How can they be because like, they, yeah. Because they did the math. They took the time to do the 64 squares. And whatever that number winds up being, calculator, but. there is more rice than has ever been cultivated in the history of humanity. So and, we don't even know that number. Yeah, and we're well over, what, 10,000 years old as a humanity? Yeah, something like that. I don't know how old rice is, but I feel like it's Correct. definitely been made since like the BC era, but and I could be wrong. if you take just the com- com- uh, countries we know eat a lot of rice, are you kidding me with that number? Yeah. There's um, compound interest for you folks. Well, so here's the thing I'll say, and this is also like, I know you and I know you'd want to add an interest, but on the, the thought of $10, what would that be? Times 74 years times 11.2%. At 11.2%. You're not adding anything. At In 74 years, $10 turns into 25 grand. 20, Wait, 25 grand or 25? 2,500. Wait, did you do compound interest calculator? Yeah. I don't know that you have that right then. Yeah, because you're not adding. I didn't add anything annually. I didn't add like $10 every year to that. So you literally only start out with $10 and you just leave it there. You're not adding anything over the years. And in 74 years, you just let it do its thing at 11.2%. If you put in $10 in 1945, you'd have $25,000 adding nothing. You just let $10 sit there. You're like, oh, hey, my buddy gave me $10 and he put it in a stock market for me. Cool. Great. Thanks, bud. And you live to $100. you are like, wow, this is $25,000 now. Let's go somewhere. Right. I don't know what like a 94-year-old would want to do, but like, thanks for my buddy in 1945. The the Marvel person in me is thinking of uh, like Bucky right. or uh, Captain America. Just like, oh, I got frozen and I came back and I had 25 grand. It's uh, not a shabby day to be frozen. Um, but we all can't do that, unfortunately. So I'm just going to stop here. Okay. <laughs> um, but that was really fun opening up your journal. And thank you for putting in some insight. You're welcome. From, My pleasure. Uh, your new journal. I, you were, I got to tell you guys, before we started recording, he looked at me and he said, you're not going to believe it's going to make your head blow. And it kind of did make my head blow because that feels like when people tell me, there are more stars in the universe than there are sands on all of our beaches. And I go, it's a lot of sand, dude. Like, it's a lot of stars. So. Right, but there's plenty of stars we can't see that are in other parts of the universe. Right, but like, you'd think, which that's a lot of rice. Like, like, haven't we eaten a lot as a society in 10,000 years? All right, years? move on. I don't know, man. That's just, that's still blowing my mind. I'm still processing it. But um, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, Dad, and, I don't know if you have any Please subscribe. Thoughts. We keep getting more and more countries. It's so great to have you guys all aboard. We thank you so much for listening. I am genuinely like excited every week to, like after our podcast, we always still like stay up and, and talk and it's so we much fun. We can't sleep. Um, well, you can't sleep. I think you went on a walk once because you were just like so jazzed about one of our episodes. But I am genuinely so happy that people are enjoying it. I think more and more people keep reaching out to us being like, hey, like, what is your advice on this? Or I think someone reached out about like a potential appearance today. I'm not even yeah. sure. Um, but uh, I just I appreciate everyone who's listened so far. And whether you know us personally or you don't, we are so excited to have you and um Listen to us on the next one, and we'll, well see and, you next and, time, and I one, guess. one last thing. I want to thank my daughter for uh, having us jam out to Deja Vu before we started this yes. by Olivia Rodrigo, so listen to it. It's so great. Olivia, I don't know if you'll, uh, you're listening to this, uh, but uh, I'm sure you're doing fine, and we love you, and we love everyone listening, and thank you, and thank tune you. in next time. 
The content on Dads, Daughters, and Dollars is for informational purposes only and does not constitute professional financial advice. Listeners should consult an attorney, accountant, financial planner, or other professionals to suit your specific needs.